We'll be jumping right into uh, point 10 today, which is effectual calling. Uh, I'm not going to do one of those reviewing everything we saw up until now. It's, it is on the website. You can go back and, and listen to the recordings if you need to catch up. Uh, but before we jump in hastily, uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing on this time. That he would um, give us clarity of thought, understanding, and that he would be glorified. So let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank you, dear God, for the gift of life and for your grace and mercies that are new every day, O Lord. Father, um, thank you, O Lord, that we can be gathered here together with brothers and sisters of the same mind, same spirit, dear God, the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, O Lord, that as we look at these truths this morning, O Lord, that you would bring clarity to our understanding, that you would uh, prepare our hearts, dear God, to receive uh, these truths, dear God, that are penned from, that are uh, extracted from your word, your holy word, dear God, our standard, our authority. I pray, dear God, that everything we say and do here would glorify you, that we would be edified. I pray, dear God, that uh, we would grow stronger, dear God, in our knowledge of you, O oh Lord, uh, because of what you have to say to us today through this Sunday school class, through the pastor's sermon, O oh Lord, and, and through fellowship. So, dear God, I, I pray, dear God, that you would uh, be glorified uh, through everything we say and do here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you recall, last week we left off on free will, and we, we finished it. And we're moving over to effectual calling. We're going to wrap up today. Uh, this is the last of the, um, of the reviews that we are doing uh, we're going to wrap up today, so we're looking at points 10 through 16, which is where we left off. Okay, some of these points are shorter, so if you're already thinking that it's not going to happen because it's Gabe, it, there's some short points. So, so it, it's going to happen, alright? God willing. So, we're looking at point 10 today, effectual calling. Uh, there's, there's some summaries, I, I just put like some summaries on the screen so you don't have to read all of those points right now in class that you have in your book, but they're just to, you know, to, to some degree, you know, to, they're faithful to what those points are and kind of a summation of them. But effectual calling, what do we understand by effectual calling? Anybody remember what we discussed in, in the original session? I know it was a long time ago, I can't even begin to tell you when it was. But effectual call, who can, who can speak to what an effectual call is? If you don't know what the term means at least, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Grammatically, what does effectual calling mean? Anybody want to take a stab at it? God's timing. God's timing. God's timing? Okay. Well, to be uh, purposely. Uh, I like that word already. Purposely. Purposefully called. It's a good word. Effectively, Effectively called. <laughs> she cheated. It's okay. <laughs> Pastor. That if called, you have no choice but to respond. Exactly. Right. And and we're we're biased in our answers because we know what it is already. Right. But if we if we didn't know what we're talking about here, someone walked in. They're brand new. Well, what is what is a root word that you see there? 
Effect. What does effect mean? An intended result. An intended result, or, or it has an intended result, or the purpose. I like that pur purposeful uh, word, uh, John. Is that whatever precedes that is intended to have an effect. And so here it's being used to describe a calling. So we know that there's a calling that is intended to produce a specific effect. All right, and what is that effect for, for those of us that now we, we can go back to our bias, we know what this is already? What, is, what, what are we talking about? What Pastor said, what, what did you say again? All the which Right. So it's a calling that will produce a response. Not that might, because that would be a probable calling. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I'm using the right word. Scholars, help me out. Probable calling, or possible uh, calling, but this is effectual calling. So let's read and see what effectual, what the points for effectual calling. Is right, and so and so we can so we, so we can summarize this before we even get into this. What we're saying is, we've talked about God's sovereignty. We've talked about uh, God's decrees, and we said that the decrees include also salvation. Right? We talked about His divine providence, which is His sovereignty, His purposeful sovereignty that's applied and His sovereignty executed and played out in His creation. We talked about free will last week. We said that Adam and Eve had true free will. They had the will to. Uh, the, the, they were able to and had the will to do good, keep God's word, or to disobey God. And we know what happened when they disobeyed God. And when they, during the fall, that will to obey God was because of death and separation, because sin was entered in. Uh, that sinful state uh, that we are in kind of eliminated, since you're spiritually dead, you no longer have the moral ability to do God's will. Until God intervenes, we saw that in covenants and, and through the mediator, Christ Jesus. So, in talking about effectual calling, if we're going to summarize it, we're talking about the calling that those elected believers, those that God predestined to salvation, right? That calling, the gospel call, because they're chosen before the foundation of the world in God's decree and God's sovereign will. But they're called out at a specific time, right? It's, it, it's a, it has to take place in a specific time. And so that effectual calling, the gospel call, we're called to preach the gospel to all. We don't know who the elect are, but the gospel is the means or the vehicle by which God calls out his elect until, until, into salvation. All right, so effectual calling. And by that we mean that the call, the gospel call, will produce its intended effect in the elect of God, in God's chosen, in those he predestined for salvation. I want to say it several ways, so we're not losing anyone in terminology. And so the effectual calling says, in God's appointed time, and again, this is just a summary of what the points that you have there, maybe two of them in one, etc. In God's appointed time, appointed being a very key word there, in God's appointed time, he is pleased to effectually call. So he is pleased to call with that specific effect, with that purposeful call that will produce a result, as Pastor said. So in God's appointed time, he's pleased to effectually call by his word 
and spirit. Very important. How does God call out the elect? Well, we know it's through the preaching of, of the gospel, but doesn't the gospel call go out to everyone? Don't we share the gospel to everyone? Does everyone respond? I love the support here, by the way. By the way. <laughs> Thank you. We, we, do, we, we, we give the gospel call to everyone, right? So that's his word. But his spirit, we talked about re- regeneration, right? Where his Holy Spirit takes a heart of stone, makes it into a heart of flesh. We have spiritual life, and then we're able to respond to the gospel call. It says here, God's appointed time, he's pleased to effectually call by his word and spirit those he what? Predestined. To life. Salvation. Right? That's what that means. Out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. Now I would add an amen, an amen to this. Someone you can look up Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 6. Actually, I'll read it, but you can look it up. Not that I read any better than you, but I kind of want to just have some... Um, Emphatical pauses. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. And it says the following. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. Right? This is not including unbelievers here when he talks about and you. We were all dead in sin and trespasses. Those of us that are saved, at one point we were. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. By nature. What is the natural state of man? It's prior to what? To his spirit regenerating us. The natural state of man is that state where he is without the Holy Spirit. Alright? Keep these verses in mind because they're going to come into play when we talk about sanctification and justification later on. And it says, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if we look, there's an appointed time where God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And what Ephesians is saying is that we were dead Spiritually, we were still in that fallen state, that same state that Adam and Eve were when they sinned. And every descendant from Adam and Eve is in that state. Thank you, Adam. Right? It would have been thank you us as well too if we, were, if we had been there. But it says that in a pointed time, we saw in Ephesians that God, while we were dead in sin and trespasses, made us alive in Christ. And that is through His Word, through His Holy Spirit, And through the gospel call, in Christ Jesus, He called us out of our natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation through Christ Jesus. Second point says, He enlightens their minds. I put the word there. Who's there? Us, the elect, the saved. 
the predestined, the chosen before the foundation of the world. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. Renews their will. Here's this very important piece. He renews their will and draws them freely to Christ. Only a sovereign God can draw us to Himself because our inclination is evil. Right? Our nature is evil. It is to, to run separate from God. But it says that He enlightens our mind spiritually. What the Scripture said, that these things are, they are spiritually discerned. Right? We don't come to a saving faith in Christ by hearing the Gospel because we're intellectually convinced of the Gospel. We have to be we have to have spiritual discernment which comes by gift of the Holy Spirit. So he enlightens the minds to, to, to be saved, to understand the things of God, and he renews our will and draws them freely to Christ. Only a sovereign God can reconcile the will of man with his sovereign decrees and cause it to happen without violating the will of the create of the creature. I say creature. I don't know where that was coming from. Of the creature. Do we understand that point? We go back to divine providence and everything that God places in our lives to accomplish His plans. He draws us out without violating our will. He changes and renews our will so that we seek Him, but it's because of what He has done, not of our own um, will. This effectual call flows from God's free and special grace alone. Pastor, can you give us a, 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 a sentence of special grace? A, a sentence explanation of special grace? Special grace is given to God's elect children alone. Only they receive this. Receiving salvation. Right. It's the gifts of the Spirit. Only for God's children. The rest right. of the world gets general grace. General grace, which is rain for the just rain, and the... sun and oxygen. There you go. <laughs> Life. So this effectual call flows from God's free and special grace alone, not from any action, power, or merit of those that are called. Somebody want to read 2 Timothy 1.9? What this is saying is, hey, this calling, this effectual call, this calling from God that will produce saving faith, that will result in a person responding to the gospel and being saved. Right? This is not a maybe. Right, some of you in the whole tulip thing, this is the piece that corresponds to what? Irresistible grace. Irresistible grace, right? So what he says is that this calling is not based on any merit of the one being called. Right? It is his special grace alone. It is God's sovereign will. It's not on any power or merit on our behalf. Second Timothy 1.9. Whoever has it. Who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Wow. I almost just, we could have just read that and moved on to point 11, right? Sexual grace continued. I didn't think it would go. Little faith. I'll read it to you. Uh, actually, maybe you can jump in to the next one there. Hey, while you're waiting, I, yes, go ahead. I know you mentioned it. I yeah. really love that we use their will in there. Yeah. I think we do 
could almost get caught up. I know what bastard means, I know what joy means, I know what irresistible grace means, I know what we have no choice means. Yeah. But we do have a choice. Right. It's just, once he opens our eyes, it's kind of like the choice to breathe. We do all choose to breathe. Mm -hmm. But why wouldn't you choose to breathe? But that, like, highlights to me the curse of sin. These people are choosing not to breathe. Right. And right. once God opens our eyes, it's not, well, now I have to. He opened my eyes. I have no choice. It's, no, of course. Yeah, that, that's all. I just really like that phrase, we lose our will. We yeah. do choose him. But why wouldn't we, once he reveals to us the truth? It's just the blue pill or whatever you want to yeah. refer to. That. I just I really enjoyed that phrase. It, 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 it reminds me of uh, R.C. Sproul. And I might butcher this. I don't know if anybody else saw it. R.C. Sproul explained that it's the want that he, that he renews, right? The, the, the want to seek and, and obey God and, and to seek God for salvation versus, the, uh, versus just the knowing that it's there, right? We, we, we choose to do it because we want to seek after him because we first, he's done his work in our hearts first. So thank you, John. That, that's the power of the new birth, being born again, where we're going to have that new birth we don't want to. Yeah. But being born again, I actually freely do want it. Because it's already done prior work. Yeah, I, it's, it's, I was reading about Augustine, and uh, he was talking about the, I'm going to completely butcher this, the passe sin pecarum and the passe pecarum, meaning the, the inability to not sin. We had the inability to not sin once Adam fell. We could not not sin. Versus when we were at peace, we had the passe sin pecara, meaning the, 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 the ability to not sin. We had it prior to, the, to, prior to the fall. And so now, like you're saying, and like what you're saying about the new birth, is now with that new birth, we're sort of restored almost to that, to that state that, that Adam enjoyed with through Christ, of course, right? Not that we're there again and we can have a second fall. But through Christ, we're at the state where now we have the ability to not sin and the ability to sin as well versus only having the ability to sin uh, after the fall. So, great point. So, those who are not elect, and this is, this is saying the same thing in the negative, right? Those who are not elect or do not receive the effectual call, this thing is uh, going over here. Those who are not elect will not and cannot truly come to Christ and cannot be saved because they are not effectually called by the Father. John 6, 4, 4. <laughs> My screen is, is going against me here. John 6, 4, 4. Can somebody read that for me? No one can come to me unless the Father draws him and will raise him up in the last day. Who can come to me, Christ, without the Father drawing? No one. No one. Right? And so there we have a good verse that supports the effectual call. Sean, if we can go to 11. Any questions on effectual call? Or comments? Nope. All right. So we move to justification. Can somebody tell me what justification is? And don't say being justified. 
Just as if I've never sinned. That's, that's like a play on the word, right? Just as if I never sinned. Okay? Anybody, anyone else have a different way to put it? To be put in right standing. To be put in right standing. The to be put is, is the big piece, right? We know that it means to be in a state of righteousness or right standing. That's what righteousness is, right? It's to, to, to be in right standing with whom? With God, the Father, right? And so what justification means, it has, it has the same, uh, the same uh, connotations of a judge that declares someone innocent, right? And so we, we are declared, that's where the to be put in right standing means, is that God has declared us righteous, okay? Let's read the first point here, and I'll read it from the screen since my thing is acting up. It says... Those that God has effectually called, He also justifies. So, just to pause for two seconds there. What that little sentence means is all a work of God. God decreed, God called, and He justifies. We are benefactors of the work of God through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Right? We are in receiving Mode, not an accepting mode. I kind of don't like that word when people say accept Christ as your Savior. You receive Christ as Savior, right? I can accept a lot of things, it doesn't mean it's true. Those God effectually calls, He also justifies, or He declares them righteous. He does this by pardoning their sins and declaring them righteous based on the merits of Jesus Christ's righteousness imputed to them. So what it says is we are declared righteous before God in good standing, or perfect standing, because of the work of Jesus Christ, because God credits us with the righteousness of Christ. It is not to be confused that we are justified, that we're declared righteous because God does something through us in the Holy Spirit, and then now we switch to a merit-based because God has done something to us. No. It, 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 sometimes it can be confusing. And I know people that think that, hey, once we're saved, we enter into this like sinless thing that as if Christians don't sing and they get the sin and they get lost and then they're resaved and lose your salvation and come back. We are declared righteous based on the merits of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is imputed or credited to us, placed on us. It's foreign. Right? Some people say this is an alien righteousness, meaning it comes outside of us, from Christ, placed onto us. And it is not that we, you know, once He effectually calls us, there's a magic spell and all of a sudden we earn these good merits with Him. No, it is once and for all based on the merits of Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 24 to 26. If somebody could please read that. And are justified by His grace as He death through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Alright. So it's a righteousness that we receive in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, one of the biggest phrases in the Bible is the words, in Christ. Christ. We could talk about that phrase 
uh, probably about 16 sessions as well too. But it is a righteousness. Justification is to be declared righteous based on the merits of Jesus Christ. It is all God's work. He does it, as Dave read in there, he does it for Christ's sake alone and not for anything produced in them, the elect, those that he called and justified. He does it for Christ's sake alone and not for anything produced in them or done by them. Like we said before, it's not that after the effectual call, we then earn merit. It is done only for the sake of Christ Jesus. It is to honor the merits of Jesus Christ. The obedience of Christ to the Father that has been imputed to us. Faith in Christ is the only instrument of justification. Romans 3.28 For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. What does the law represent? Works of the law represent in our lives? Death. Because we cannot satisfy the works of the law, right? And works of the law is, is a merit-based system. And so we are saved by works, but we're just not saved by our works. We're saved by the works of Christ credited to us. So from our eyes, we're saved by grace because we've done nothing to merit that salvation. And as Sean read, it is by faith in Christ that we are justified, not by our works. So again, shooting down uh, the idea that after we're saved, our good works produce merit. And we'll talk about that later on in this section that's called Good Works. Right? Christ, by his obedience and death, the works of Christ, his obedience and death, fully paid the debt of all who are justified by satisfying the penalty they deserve. Why? Because God is just. Right? The Bible says he's just and justifier. God would not be just if he just declared us righteous. The penalty that God, remember we talked about covenant? We said contract. I think it was Sharon that said there's terms and conditions and consequences in the contract. We know that the wages of sin are, is death. So we have to understand that God is just and we are declared righteous based on the works of Christ, but sins must be punished. Otherwise, his word of the wages of sin and death would be violated. God does not violate his word. He does not violate his conditions. Therefore, our justification is based on the sinless, perfect life of Christ, his death and resurrection. But it is so because Christ has paid the price for the violation of those terms and conditions. So, God is not dispensing justification outside of the work of Jesus Christ. He's not saying, oh, well, this person is justified because I feel like it. He's saying, I chose this person, I called them effectually, and I purchased them through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Alright? So, Jesus has paid the debt of all who are justified. And it's like we said, every sin will be punished. Either in eternity, in hell by the unbeliever, or it was punished in Christ Jesus at the cross on behalf of the elect 
the justified. Okay? Uh, next slide. It says, God decreed to justify the elect from all eternity. I think Mike read a piece of that, and there was a little bit in what Dave read as well. God decreed to justify the elect from all eternity, but they are not justified until the Holy Spirit applies Christ to them at the proper time. Here we are again talking about the proper timing of God. Everything goes and points back to the sovereignty of God. And praise God for it. Right? Praise God. He's not waiting for us to come around because we would never come around. Right? We're justified only when the Holy Spirit applies Christ. Meaning that when the Holy Spirit, when we are regenerated. The new birth, as Mike said. Right? Is when we are justified because uh, Christ's work is applied to us. Those who are justified can never fall from the state of justification, even though they might continue to sin. Somebody want to just comment on that? Those who are justified, those who are declared righteous by God because of the works of Jesus Christ, can never fall from the state of justification, can never fall into unrighteousness, a state of unrighteousness. Does that mean sinlessness? Well, we only fall Christ's works. We're the ones that were falling short. Exactly. Exactly. No sin of ours is more powerful than the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Right? Uh, So we can never fall from the state of justification, which is the other way of saying what? You can't lose your salvation. Alright? Somebody read... Oh, Siri wants to hear everything now. Uh, John 10.28. Somebody pull up John 10.28. And somebody 1 John 1.9. And then we'll move on to the next one. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of Can't say it any plainer than that. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There. Contrast there is, we can never be plucked out of the hand of Christ, but we do sin. But he puts in us that want, that desire to confess our sins to him, and God is faithful and he forgives our sins. So let's move a little quicker. I'm not going to spend too much time on adoption, because I think we're going to hear a little bit about that today, if I'm not mistaken. God granted that all who are justified would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. Through him they are counted among the children of God. What is adoption? To take in. To take in. To make your own. To make your own. Now what happens when a child is adopted? Part of the family. He receives all the benefits and rights of a blood descendant. But what is beautiful about adoption? I have to love these two over here. (laughs) Right? I don't really have a choice. I, technically I do, but but I have to love them. I don't have to go to an orphanage. I don't have to love the child that's in the orphanage. But I choose to. Go to the orphanage and I choose no merit of that child. On the earthly side, maybe we might look at how cute they are, the chubby cheeks or whatever it might be on the earthly side. But our adoption is 
magnifies the grace of God. Right? That God receives the glory for it. That He didn't have to love us, but He chose to love us, and He bestowed upon us those slaves to sin and made us heirs with Christ Jesus. You can read about that in Ephesians 1.5 and John 1.12. I'm going to skip them for the sake of time here. We've got a couple more to go. The justified gain and inheritance as children of God. Romans 18 says we are co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be a co-heir? Equal. Equal heir. Whatever Christ inherits, we inherit. And it's only true because of our adoption. We've been adopted as children of God. And so what's true of Christ is true of us. The justified enjoy all the protections as of God as a father. If you read 2 Corinthians 6.18, we now have to read it out loud. It says that he will be as a father to us. Implying what? What does a father do? He provides. He protects. He corrects. He disciplines. He loves. Right? And so once we've been justified, called, regenerated, saved, for another word, we are adopted as children of of Christ. Sanctification 13. <clears throat> Sanctification says those who are effectually called. I like how they refer back to the stuff before them, right? Because we're talking about a specific thing. We started off Holy Scriptures creation. And you see how everything is narrowing down now to us, right? It's narrowing down to us. Not that we are the purpose of everything, but just so that we see God's big plan. And how detailed it is for uh, the saved. Sanctification. What is sanctification? Maybe we can sum this up quickly. To be separate. Sanctification comes from the Latin, right? Sanctus, which means like holy. So if you want to do the ghetto definition of it, it's holification. Right? <laughs> it's the being, it's the process of being set apart. Sanctification, being made holy. Right? And it is a process. It says those who are effectually called and regenerated in Christ have a new heart. There's that new birth that Mike was talking about and new, new will we can throw in there that John mentioned. They have a new heart, spirit, created in them through the power of Christ's death and resurrection. You can read that in Romans 6, 5. They are sanctified or they are set apart through the power of His Word and Spirit dwelling in them. John 17, 17. If somebody could look that one up, please. They are sanctified through the power of His Word and Spirit dwelling in them. So sanctification is the process by which... right? It's almost like, it's almost like the undoing of death. You know how the, there, we have a process of slowly dying? Sanctification is like the process of Slowly living, right? Death was separation from God, and sanctification is kind of separation from death and sin. Right? Becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. That's the high priestly prayer of Christ Jesus, where he prays for the disciples. And for us as well, because later on in the chapter it says, and not just for, he doesn't pray for the whole world, but he prays for these and those that will believe through them, right? As they are sanctified through the power of his word and the spirit dwelling with him. The word of God sanctifies us. It's our 
It's our reproof. It's our correction. It displays for us how God wants us to uh, live. The dominion of sin is destroyed and evil desires and more and more weakened and put to death. You can read about that in Galatians 5.24. What is that saying? That in your process of sanctification... Correct me if I'm wrong for saying this. Maybe Mike, John, Lynn. Uh, to be evident in our life. That, we're slow, that we are dying more and more to those evil desires. The old nature. What was the natural state of man? When they were without the Holy Spirit. Now we have the Holy Spirit. And so our works, though we still sin and we still falter. Uh, we should look different. As we grow in the Lord, we should have we should have different struggles, right? Could we struggle with the same sin for a time? Yes, but there should be progress in our lives. There should be there should be conflict in our lives over our sin. There should be a struggle over our sin, not just a complacency about it. Right? So we should look differently because of. The sanctification, the power, the dominion of sin. Sin no longer rules over us. Though we might commit sins, our desires to please the Lord, but we, we fail and we falter. But those things should be put to death. Sanctification is ongoing, but it is never completed in this life. You can read about that in First Thessalonians 5.23. So sanctification, process of being set apart, the glory of God. Dying to sin and death uh, as we live. We know we never achieve perfection on on, on this side of eternity, right? Until we are glorified with God. Saving faith. Saving faith is the faith gifted by grace. Alright, so we just want to establish that faith, some people can turn faith into a work. Where it says, well, I have the right faith. I, I, I have this internal faith and I did this through my faith. It becomes like this, you know, like force thing, like the name it and claim it gospel. Well, you didn't have enough faith or et cetera, et cetera. But saving faith is the faith gifted by grace by which the elect, the justified, the saved, are enabled to believe in Christ so that their souls are saved. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. We know we are saved by grace through faith, and that faith is not our own, but it is a gift from God. So everything we need for salvation is provided by God, including the very faith that is required for salvation. It's a gift of God, saving faith. You can read about that in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. <laughs> by this faith, that saving faith, gift from God, by this faith, Christians believe everything revealed in the word of God to be true and recognize it as having the authority of God himself. And there are some verses there to support that. But what this is saying is that it is that same saving faith gifted to us by God that makes us receive the words of scripture as the very words of God. That we have faith in The Word of God. The Word of God points us to Jesus Christ. Right? The Word of God points us to Christ. So, uh, of course, faith in His Word is faith in Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us 
about Jesus, it tells us what we need for salvation. And so, in obedience, because of the faith that we're gifted, we respond. This faith may sometimes be weak or strong, or may be attacked, but it gains the victory and matures to the point of attaining full assurance through Christ. How many of us have had weak faith? I have. I've had faith. Have you ever maybe doubted, maybe not your salvation, but have you ever said, you know, I know your word says this, Lord, but right, we always want to like feel, like send me a sign of some kind, etc. Uh, you know, show me that this, or, or, or some people, uh, I, I know uh, you have a person that was uh, near death and and what, what, what a torture. Near, near those last moments, they like, well, I hope that everything I learned is, is, is real. It was, it was heartbreaking to hear that. But our faith can be weak, right? It's gifted to us. We, we come to a saving faith. But our faith can be weak and it can be rattled. But that's all part of our weakness. It's not a lacking in the gifting of the faith of God. It's maybe how we apply the faith in our lives. and Maybe we're not reading the word of God and renewing the faith through the word of God uh, in there. And we may be not heeding the prompt of the Holy Spirit. And and so we begin to rely on ourselves. That my faith is going to do this when in fact it is the object of our faith. That does it. We, We place faith in faith. Versus the object of the faith. Saving faith. A gift of God. 15. Repentance unto life and salvation. What is repentance? We'll finish in in two minutes here. Turn away. And at the same time, turning to. Right? Turn away. Repentance is given by grace. To the elect as part of their effectual calling. There is no one who does not sin and does not need to repent. Aside from who? From Christ Jesus. Ecclesiastes 7.20 basically says that. Okay, we don't have to look it up. Repentance is when the elect are made aware of their sin by work of the Holy Spirit. Remember we had the tree up there and we said that it, it, repentance comes from a regenerate heart. Right, we're talking about a regenerate heart. Does the world show repentance? Does the unsaved world show repentance? What does the unsaved world express? Worldly sorrow. Right, it's, usually, it's usually a sorrow of the consequence that they received for their actions. Sorrow over getting caught. Right? Um, but... Repentance is when the elect are made aware of their sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. We humble themselves with a hatred of their sin and turn to Christ for pardon and strength. Right? Ezekiel 36-31 is a verse where the Lord says that He will place in them hearts and they will loathe themselves over it and turn to the Lord. And that that desire is placed in their by Him. Repentance must continue throughout our lives. Is that true? Why? Why must we repent throughout our lives? Because it's sent throughout our lives. 
because we sin through our lives. Right? Without repentance, it's almost as if you're like enjoying the, the thing. Oh, I'm saying sorry. Right? But repentance must continue through our, our lives because we continue to sin throughout our lives. Any comments or questions on repentance? So we look at our last one here. All right. One minute. Good works. What are good works? Works that the Father deems good. Ah, very good. Very good. Works that the Father deems good. And I think I think the phrase would would just say exactly what you're saying. Only those works that God has commanded in His holy word and are carried out in obedience. Micah six eight. We all know the verse, right? What does God will for us? To do justice. These good works are evidence of saving faith. They don't merit us with salvation. But these good works are evidence of saving faith and how believers express their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, and build each other up and glorify God. All our good works, right? We, we do not have good works prior to salvation. Why? Why is that? Because we're not good. We're dead in sin and trespasses. Hey, the unsaved world can do works that would appear to be good. But what is their purpose and what is their motivation for these works? Self. Self-glory. Self. Self right? The difference between good works of the saved versus the unsaved is that we do them as evidence of what Christ has first done in us. What God has done in us through His Spirit. But also the motivation or the purpose of our good works is to glorify and bring glory to God. Right? So unsaved people might, you know, make a device that helps people with ailments or something like that. Well, that, that's it's a good thing. But if it's not for the glory of God, it's, what does Scripture say about our deeds? They are as filthy rags. Right? Tainted sinner and everything we touch is tainted by sin. Except for those things that God has commanded and, and those things that have been purified. Even our works, Ephesians 2.10 says that these are works that God has prepared beforehand. That we might walk in them. Alright? We are enabled to good works by the Spirit of Christ. Someone pull up John 15.4-5. We'll end there. And while you're pulling that up, we'll just read the last point. Good works do not merit pardon for sins. Right? If you are saved, if you are a Christian and you believe that you committed a sin and you, you know that you don't lose your salvation, but if you think you're going to just do something good to undo that bad, you kind, of, you kind of just went back to a worldly mentality. Right? So if I offend the Len today, me coming here tomorrow, even though I, know he's, I don't think he's here tomorrow, but coming in and washing his car while he's in his office, does not merit a forgiveness from Len. All right? I'm not gaining any credit with God for trying to undo something with good works. I just want to establish that. But we are enabled to good works by the Spirit of Christ. John 15, 4 and 5. Much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. 
There's not much to say there after that verse, right? Without me, you can do nothing. And good works included in there. Right? So the next chapter would be uh, preservation. Preservation of the saints. I don't know, Mike, when we're going to kick this off again. Next week. Oh, next week? Okay. So, uh, So that has been a review. Again, if you've missed any part of the review, you can go back to the website. I know that uh, some of them are, are, are posted up there and you can see. But for now, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, dear God, because uh, ultimately what is revealed to us through these points that are based on your scripture, your word, dear God, your will, you are worthy of all the glory. We are benefactors of your grace. We are benefactors of your work, of the work of Jesus Christ. We brought our sin, we brought our covenant-breaking-ness to the table, and you condescended, you rescued us, you saved us, you gave us the will and the want and the desire, you've given us repentance, you've given us your word, you sanctify us, dear God, you Put a new spirit in us, a new will. You renew our will, dear God, that we might seek to obey you, that we would seek to confess when we disobey you, and we'd seek your forgiveness, O Lord. And that we can do good works because of your work in us, that our works can glorify you, O Lord. Let them not glorify us. We thank you, dear God, for such a grace, for such a salvation, O Lord, in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.